Hello, kaiju lovers. What you're about to hear is actually an episode of the Forever Classic Podcast, hosted by Alex McCumbers, who's an old friend of mine from my Giga Geek magazine days. I asked him if he would like me to come on to talk about the Monster Hunter movie that came out a few months ago, considering that he's a huge fan of the game series and his podcast is about video games, so it only seemed appropriate. I suggested that we make this a simultaneous release, which is why I'm dropping it here on this feed, but I let him have it exclusively on his podcast feed for a couple of weeks, which is why I'm only now putting it up. So if any of you didn't listen to it on Alex's podcast, here you go. And now you can hear my opinions on this, believe it or not, secret Toho movie. I should let you know that while MIFV is a family show, there is a wee bit of swearing in this episode, though none of it comes from me. That isn't a slight against Alex. It's just how he is. So make sure you know that going into it in case you have kids listening to this with you. If you are into video games, however, I do highly recommend that you check out Alex's podcast. It's quite excellent, and much like this show, is seeking entertainment and enlightenment in video games. And with that, on with the show. Welcome to the Forever Classic Podcast, the show seeking enlightenment through video games, films, and other geek culture. Folks, we are going to do something that we don't do very often, but it's in our introduction, so we may as well. We're going to talk about a movie, and I have a pretty awesome group of friends just in general, but my network of buddies is just full of experts on various topics, and one of the places that I have good friends in is basically the academic study of kaiju films, so I've brought on my, my old pal, my good bud, Nathan Marshand. Nathan, say hello, friend. Hello, Forever Classic Gamers! <laughs> Amazing. I, yeah, I have been called a lot of things in my life, but you are the first person to call me the Kaiju Academic, which sounds like a great title for a podcast, I might add. <laughs> it just makes sense, because your previous work, your current work, all of it is just so high-level in breaking down these movies and these franchises and the like the connections and the political situations of the time it's just awesome thank you very much sir <laughs> i do my best <laughs> and of course you are currently the co or the host and co-creator sole Cura creator curator, right curator yeah. the host and curator of the monster island film vault a pod uh, I, you know, th this tagline is going to sound eerily similar to yours the, a podcast <laughs> the entertainment and enlightenment through tokusatsu i don't mind you ripping from us man go for it <laughs> enlightenment's know, a good I word think i may have stolen it from somewhere else but <laughs> hey fair enough we can all be on the same wavelength. I love it. I know, why not at this point? <laughs> so what is your current... Because the last time I, I tuned into your show, you were really into like the King Kong films. Where are you sitting at currently with uh, Monster Island? Oh, boy. Um, originally, I was uh, planning on covering the Heisei Gamera trilogy, but uh, the Monster Island board of directors, my Orwellian overlords, in their infinite wisdom, decided that uh, three Gamera movies wasn't enough. They wanted all 12. So I am spending 2021 doing what they have termed the year of Gamera. You get one Gamera movie a month for the entire year. And let me tell you, September can't come soon enough because, oh man. 
that <laughs> these is that the uh, Iris camera movies are a little difficult to get through at points. What is the one that's got Iris in it? Revenge of Iris. That one is incredible. Revenge of Iris. I've only seen Camera three. Easily one of the greatest kaiju movies ever made. Yeah, it's it's really really cool. There's some really awesome scenes in there. Oh, so many. Oh, and you want to talk about going uh, nuts as an academic hmm. wait till i get to that one my friend <laughs> <laughs> i'm so ready for camera to come back but that's a topic for another time dude because we are talking about monster hunter the 2020 film starring mila jovovich and directed by paul ws anderson <laughs> yes <laughs> and unfortunately i don't have my intrepid producer jimmy from nasa here to rip uh, to rip his way through this movie or at least our discussion, because he's uh, he's busy right now. Uh, he's keeping an eye on the camera communications equipment. Uh, he had a bit of a long day. Uh, Barugan got loose. I don't know how. And he iced up part of the island. So Jimmy had to use Mechanicong Mark II, which he just built to uh, recapture that big ice spewing lizard and put him back. And today, they there was uh, six hours of mandatory seminar training today called Kaiju and You here on the island. So <laughs> I am very happy to be podcasting right now after all of that. Sounds like a long day at the island, man. It was a long day at the island. And I think there was some kind of weird things going on here while the seminar was going on. I'm not sure, but yeah. <laughs> anyway. But yeah. So yeah. Monster Hunter, the film. All right. So I guess the first thing that I want to talk to you about, man, is like, how familiar are you with the Monster Hunter world of games? You know, it's funny. You would think that as someone who is a fan of both Kaiju and Capcom, that I would be all over this franchise. But unfortunately, I have had <laughs> little to no, oh, not no ex exposure, but very little exposure to Monster Hunter. I think I've spent more time playing games that had Monster Hunter characters in them than actual Monster Hunter games. <laughs> and I right feel on, a little right embarrassed on. by that. And I think it should be remedied. I just need to They're know where to start good. on Monster Hunter World. So I'm going to defer to your recommendations on that. <laughs> yeah, uh, Monster Hunter World is definitely the place to start because it's the most player friendly. But here pretty soon on the Switch, we're going to get Monster Hunter Rise. So if you do oh, yeah. have a Switch, it's a great place to jump in. It'll just feel more complex than World. Okay. But it's you'll be right in with a new player base. It's really easy to jump into hunts together in Rise. And you don't have to worry about like, oh, have I watched the cutscene or whatever. You just jump in and play. Gotcha. And so that'll be really cool. Comes out late March. Uh, I, of course, will be getting it because anybody who listens to my show knows exactly what I feel about Monster Hunter. It's one of my favorite franchises ever. Definitely my favorite co-op experience. And I've been playing these since the PS2. Of course, I didn't play online on the PS2. I lived in West Virginia, <laughs> so getting online on anything even now is crazy, but trying to play like in the heyday of PS2 online just wasn't going to happen. So I picked it up again in uh, in college, played with our, my co-host Zach here on the show, and from there I've picked up every main English release, and I plan on picking up just about all of them as it goes into the future, because not only is Monster Hunter Rise coming out, but there's a Dragon Quest-style RPG called Monster Hunter Stories that's getting a sequel this summer, and I'm all over that. Hi, dang. Yeah, the this franchise is making Capcom money hand over fist at this point. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. And their... I have actually heard some people uh, make arguments and write articles about how they think Monster Hunter World 
is the superior, as they put it, lifestyle game to, say, something like Destiny. Yeah, I would agree. Uh-huh. Mostly because of that co-op element, I think. And the the way Capcom has just been feeding the community in this game content is really great. They put out new monsters, new weapons, new emotes, you know, kind of everything. Mm-hmm. And I hear they manage it better than a lot of the other games of its ilk. You know, the lifestyle games, as they put it. Yeah. Which is quickly, mm-hmm. I'm noticing, becoming the model that developers are going with. I mean, even fighting games are trying to do that now. <laughs> yeah, most, now most notably, Nether Realms with their games. They even have loot drops in them now. It's weird. <laughs> I'm not a fan of it. Like, the live service model is not great. And that's why I like Monster Hunter, because 90% of the content is free. There's some, like, emotes that you can spend money on, but all the monsters and stuff, that's all just free content. As long as you're playing and you're at that rank, you can jump right in. Yeah, yeah, I am not a fan of microtransactions. Microtransactions is a horrible thing that developers have picked up from mobile games because at least in mobile games, it makes sense because usually you're getting the mobile game for free or next to nothing, so they got to make their money somewhere. But if I'm forking over 60 bucks for your game and you want to make me do microtransactions you're not going to ingratiate me as a player i'm just saying yeah for sure so this this movie really kind of piggybacks off of the popularity of monster hunter world which is capcom's most ludicrous uh or lucrative franchise and release ever i was just saying i don't know really really large number (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. lucrative (laughs) (laughs) So the their game, Monster Hunter World, has sold like 24 million copies, if you include Iceborne, and the base version of the game is 16.8. Their next bestseller is Resident Evil 7 at like 7 million. Wow. <laughs> so it just goes to show how big this game is, and that's kind of what pushed it into the film territory, I imagine. And of course, who has made them money? W.S. Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> Paul W.S. Anderson, yes. Because <laughs> even though those Resident Evil movies are not great. How many great, of those Resident great. Evil movies did he direct? I don't know anymore because I like didn't follow four the or five movies. <laughs> There's six. I think he done most of them. So those movies, even though they didn't, they, they're not great and they're still like watching them now. They're just dumb fun. There's good parts, mind you. But for the most part, those movies are... They're 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 a film, and so but the the reason those kept coming out is they kept making money. So I know. Every time they would put out a film, it would make like four times the budget, and they just kept giving the rights to these folks to make these movies. Yeah, and how many times did the was that franchise supposed to end, and then it didn't? I mean, they had like what you know everything after three was supposed to be the last one because you know what was it like yeah even the titles would make you think that what was it like like wasn't one of them like it was like resident evil apocalypse or i don't know yeah afterlife and it's just like all these it's like will you make up your mind are you done or not you can only retcon these things so many times yeah it's it's one of those things that they just keep coming and they don't stop coming (laughs) and it's they're like they're fine, like but once you get to movie five, move, movie five is atrocious. It's one of the worst films I've seen. It's got this really bad like CG chainsaw death in it. That's super funny. But you can pick up those movies for nearly nothing. So I assume that the Capcom was like, oh, we've got a good thing going with Monster Hunter. Let's get our old pal Anderson back on the on the slate. And then Anderson is like, well, let's just make 
you know, lovely wife Jovovich into the main character. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. I, I saw a video review one time where this guy kept joking how, especially in those earlier Resident Evil movies, it just seemed like Anderson was just finding any excuse he could find to get Jovovich naked. <laughs> and then he marries yeah. the woman. <laughs> Yeah, he's definitely one of those dudes that's like, my wife is hot and everybody needs to know. <laughs> she's a great actress, though. Her action stunts are fun and, you know, she's got great presence. So she's in Resident Evil, of course, as the main character, Alice. She also recently appeared as the antagonist, Nimue, in the, the, the 2019 Hellboy film. Which I still haven't seen, and I've heard a lot of people call it Heckboy. But <laughs> well, I watched it last night. It's fun. That's the the new one's the one where they like, you know, they say the F word and there's a lot more gore and it's yeah, it's kind of like Deadpool meets Hellboy, but it's still fun. It's not a bad film by any stretch of the imagination. It's just that the world building and stuff of Guillermo del Toro is unparalleled. And so it feels worse by comparison. Yeah, it's hard to compete with del Toro. I'm just saying, don't get me started on Pacific Rim Uprising. Oh, don't. yeah, I just watched it last don't. night, too, for the first time. <laughs> oh. Just don't. <laughs> it's a, a one another just generally okay movie that had a really, really good predecessor. <laughs> so in Monster Hunter, Jovovich plays Artemis, who's our main character. She's an army lieutenant, and she is suddenly find she finds her and her team have been sucked into a parallel world, mm -hmm. and monsters appear, like a Diablo shows up and completely wrecks house. And so she eventually has to make sure that she gets out of this alive, first off, and then she has to learn the ways of the Monster Hunter universe, and she, like, gets taught, you know, how to fight and certain things. And, and so her whole, like, situation is very much an isekai, like, protagonist from anime, almost. Mm -hmm. And that's a, a genre term of, like, you know, you're a person in, a, in one world, and you get sucked into another world, mm -hmm. and now you take, like, you gotta completely relearn things and take the skills you already mm -hmm. have, so mm -hmm. this is definitely an isekai film. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I was just gonna say, in the literary world, that's called a portal fantasy, where the characters... Oh. The characters start in the real world, our world, and then through the means of a portal, they go to a, the fantasy world. So, example, the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Oh, mm -hmm. The kids go through the wardrobe. And then in every, there's seven of those books, and then in every single one of those books, the portal is different. Well, in the ones where they actually go, there's one book that's entirely in Nar Narnia and it's not a portal, but right. because like in one, it's a magic ring and another one, it's a train, you know, there's different ways to get to it, yeah. but yeah, it's a portal fantasy. And these sort of narratives are extremely popular right now in anime. So it kind of makes sense that we would end up with this, but honestly, I think this movie would have been better without it or if we would have got more of the like culture of the universe. Yeah. See, cause that's the thing I know enough about monster hunter to know that the way this movie is set up is not like the games at all. <laughs> no, <laughs> it is. Uh, it is uh, monster hunter is not a portal fantasy. <laughs> now, if you take the isekai element out of it, parts of it are really similar, but we'll get to that later. Other actors involved. Oh, real quick. Artemis is a skin in monster hunter world. So if you watch this movie and think, Hmm, I want to play as Jovovich. <laughs> you have the option. <laughs> yes. I was wondering about that. So, cause uh, she, her character, just like in the resident evil movies, her character is not in the games <laughs> at all. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, right, but in this, she is. <laughs> so, which is really funny. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. They basically did it as like a marketing ploy, right? But it's basically. still cool. You can run around as Joe. I haven't done the quest yet because I only play every now and again. But it's it's a thing. <laughs> it's a yes. thing you can do. Yes, I do think it's so cool. So other actors involved with the Monster Hunter film include Tony Jaa, who I wasn't familiar with until this really? film. Really? And I really want to watch his other stuff. I am familiar with Mr. Jaw. I think I've actually seen most of his movies, if not all Really? Of them. Okay. Yeah. Or at least, I know I've seen a lot of them because uh, he rose to prominence through Ong Bak, the first Ong Bak, because there's three of them now. And mm -hmm. uh, he was basically being billed when that movie came out. They were ba he was basically being billed as the next Bruce Lee because he was crazy good. He's a Thai yeah. actor. He does Muay Thai. So that's another thing that makes him a bit more distinct compared to a lot of other martial arts stars because most of them come from Hong Kong or China. So you'll see things like Wing Chun, Kung Fu and all of that. You have a few from Japan, mm -hmm. but obviously Hong Kong has always been the mecca of martial arts movies. Well, Ong Bak comes on the scene with Tony Jaa was his first starring role. He had been a stunt man before that. And I, he just burst on the, the martial arts movie scene. And uh, Ong Bak has crazy good action. And then uh, what else have I seen? I've seen The Protector. Uh, I've seen the two Ong Bak sequels. I mean, I've seen Mortal Kombat Annihilation, which he did stunt work. What? He, he was in Mortal Kombat Annihilation as a stunt artist, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I watched five minutes, uh, five minutes of Annihilation and I said, nope. <laughs> yeah, it's it's bad. <laughs> it's real bad. Uh, yeah, uh, I haven't seen Protector 2 yet. That's one that I haven't seen. So I, all okay. of that to say, I know Tony John ja, when I heard he was going to be in the movie. I'm like, OK, that could be kind of cool. And to be honest, it, it, I he might have actually been a bit more. Actually, I found him to be more interesting <laughs> than Jovovich in this. So. Yeah. Yeah, in many ways, because, of course, he's, you know, he's a hunter that's in this universe. He's based off the field team leader in Monster Hunter World. And all the characters in Monster Hunter World have these, like, really bad names. <laughs> like, nobody has a, an actual name. They're all, like, their job. Yeah, because they're, they're meant to be the, you know, it's, uh, it's a common theory, uh, the blank character. that yeah. allows the player, you see it a lot more in video games than anything else. It allows the player to kind of imprint on the character. Probably the, I would say, the, the most popular example of this would be Link. From Legend of Zelda. There isn't a whole right. lot to Link's character in most Zelda games, which they do, which Nintendo did on purpose so that the player could kind of imprint on him. Right. Yeah. Now, the the field team leader, just to clarify, he's an NPC. So he's like one of the other hunters in the group. Mm -hmm. But so, yeah, Tony Jaw is cool. I am really excited to explore his movies. And so would you say that Ong Bak is a great place to start? Oh, Ong Bak is a great place to start. Ong Bak is really good. Awesome. The, the, well, they're not really sequels, but Ong Bak 2 and 3, they're actually prequels and they are weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They are weird. Because I just That's watched John Wick for the first time them. recently. The protector. And if they're anything like John Wick, I'm in. No, oh, well, John Wick is uh, gunfu. Yeah. These are straight martial arts movies. There's some gunplay in them, obviously, because, you, you know, the martial arts star has to beat guys up who have guns. Right. But yeah, it's it's straight up martial arts for the most part. I uh, The protector is a little bit weird because there's two versions of it. Uh, huh. The dubbed version, which uh, I think was overseen by the RZA, if I remember correctly. I could be wrong on that. Jimmy's not here to weird. correct me. <laughs> Yeah, they cut 30 minutes out of it and they actually changed Tony the motivation for Tony Jaw's character. Huh. Probably because 
in the uncut version, the it the motive his motivation was so cultural. I think it would have been lost on an American audience because in that, uh, in which this part of it is maintained, but they add more stuff on top of it. Tony Jaw plays a character. He's called the Protector because he has to go rescue basically a sacred elephant that belonged oh. to his village because in Thai culture elephants are apparently very important but hmm. I guess they figured that that would be a bit lost on the American audience so they actually re-edited the movie and through the through the dubbing made it look like not only is he trying to recover the elephant but his character's father dies and he's off trying to avenge his father but in the original thai version his father doesn't die <laughs> wild it's really weird whenever certain studios gets a hold of things and then americanizes it oh trust me i've watched enough godzilla movies to know but yeah. I, I will admit it does lead to this kind of funny dubbed line and i haven't seen the protector in years but it does lead to this kind of funny line at the end when right before the climax when tony jock confronts the bad guys and he basically yells at them and says you killed my father and stole my elephant <laughs> <laughs> i love bad dubs like the there's so many great examples but moving down the list playing the role of the admiral is ron perlman wait who, who i did not know was in this movie until i watched it yeah yeah and the thing is is i think he's the worst like most of the characters in this film that are in the monster hunter world i think look spot on like the characters they're represented but ron perlman for whatever reason looks awful and i think it's his hair like for whatever reason, they gave him like a bad wig or something, and they. I just don't. Yeah, it was it. weird because when I saw him, I uh, I actually wrote in my notes because all of my notes are just in chronological order as, as I was watching the movie, and I just wrote right. Ron Perlman question mark exclamation yep. point. <laughs> and of course, to me, like especially in geek culture, like Perlman is famous for playing Hellboy, and so him and Jovovich have that Hellboy connection, which is was just interesting. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Another weird note about Perlman's character is he uses a switch axe, and in the game, those axes can turn into swords and, like, imbue with elemental energy, and we see him slinging energy around, but it never turns into a sword. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> weird, weird way to do it. Some, like, cool transforming scenes would have been sick, but other characters from the movie that because most of this cast comes from monster hunter world and the other characters that show up are characters like the handler who is basically like your your intelligence gatherer and somebody who like leads you on missions and she's like your your buddy basically mm -hmm. uh the meowscular chef which that is the big threw me off so bad yeah, he's so cool <laughs> i was not expecting cgi cat man i was not yeah <laughs> So there's a couple different races in the Monster Hunter world, and, you know, there's humans, there's Wyvarians, who are basically like elves, and there's the felines, which are these little cat guys. And so Meowskular Chef is a feline who cooks for the hunters in the village, and the scene that we see in the film is basically shot for shot the same thing that we have in the game. The other characters we see are the Serious Handler and the Excitable A-Lister, who are two characters that are in the opening cutscene of the game, and they show up in a couple different missions here and there. So a lot of this cast, like, if you've played the first 30 minutes of Monster Hunter World, you're gonna feel right at home. And mm -hmm. the movie even starts with a scene that's very similar to Monster Hunter World, but more in line with Monster Hunter 3, which was very desert-themed. But, yeah. So the characters i think are fine yeah the problem i had with that opening scene is that it was good about establishing the world the, the fantasy mm -hmm. world at the very least but 
I was basically lost. I mean, I gathered some of the things that were happening in the scene, but there were, I, I was basically just kind of at a loss for what was going on. And I'm not saying that you can't do a movie with, you know, that communicates its story and doesn't have as much dialogue. You, it's possible because film is a visual medium, but mm -hmm. I do feel like that opening scene didn't quite succeed at what I think it wanted to do, at least not with right. everything. I kind of had to infer a lot of stuff and it was still a little confusing because I'm like, who are these people? What is the ship doing? Why is there a monster attacking? You know, I'm just, there are all of these things and <clears throat> I knew nothing about these characters and I'm trying to figure out, okay, who's the character I'm following? And all, it was just, I was just confused. <laughs> <laughs> it's messy, but the, the thing about the Monster Hunter narrative is until Monster Hunter World, it was very much like text and just, you know, uh, there's a problem. We live in a village and a monster attacked. And that's yeah. basically your driving. That would give me like, some force. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so in Monster Hunter World, they introduced the same premise, but showed it off in a way that, you know, had characters and dialogue and cutscenes. And it's definitely like more cinematic, but this particular set up for the film doesn't really do a whole lot of justice when there isn't that backstory of oh this is a world that's full of danger and larger than life creatures mm -hmm. and but of course everybody walked into this movie wanting to see the damn monsters and we get some of that yeah the mo I, i'm this is kind of jumping ahead a little bit but i'm gonna be honest with you the monsters are the star in this movie the stars oh for sure yeah definitely yeah. That's where most, I think that's where most of the effort went, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, the CG budget was probably where most of the budget went. But the, the main antagonist of the film, for most of it, is a Black Diablos. It's a character that is very much a wall for a lot of players, because of the way it behaves and the amount of damage it puts out. So it, it makes sense for Diablos to be, like, one of the main things they fight. But we also see Nursilla, which is that big spider-like creature. Mm -hmm. who, funnily enough, is not in Monster Hunter World. <laughs> That's a creature that comes from MH4 and uh, other games except for World, basically. And then the other one we see is the Rathalos, the big wyvern. Yeah, the, He's the big the boy. original flagship. He's the yeah. big red dragon. This is the icon of Monster Hunter. You couldn't have this movie without Rathalos, in my opinion. No, you couldn't. Yeah. Even as someone who is not as familiar, not nearly as familiar with the games as you are, I knew going in, it's like, if they don't put Rathalos in, I think they're going to be doing everybody a disservice rathalos is the one everybody wants to see yeah and at, at the end of the movie we do get a little bit which was disappointing we'll get to that later uh yeah. the gore magala who's the flagship of monster hunter 4 and it is a very cool creature it's a fan favorite it's like this black dragon with like these inky things and it transforms into this big white dragon. Like, it's a super, super cool enemy. And I'm really excited for it to come back, hopefully, in Monster Hunter Rise. The other thing that we see that are really game-related are, like, the weapons. The weapons in this are all based off of Monster Hunter World in the iron and bone category of weapons. So things like the jawbone greatsword that's basically the same exact weapon that we see in the game and so that the the prop making is pretty solid uh we also see some healing herbs they roast some meat and then of course we do get the muscular chef which is pretty cool to see mm -hmm. so that's and and like you said like the budget was definitely in you know prop making and monsters yeah, I was going to say, you you, uh, you didn't mention the, what the actual budget was, and I didn't even know this. $60 million, I see here. <laughs> yes, which is a lot. And, uh, seemingly, compared I to most Hollywood blockbusters, that's kind of cheap, but... 
Right, yeah. Uh, they definitely did it a little leaner than what you would expect, but it, they, they're kind of used to that, I think, with the Resident Evil movie. So they're like, oh, you know, we put yeah. some money into it, and then we'll make three times that. Well, and what, uh, the other thing that's interesting, and I don't know exactly how much involvement they had, but it's this is also a yet another good reason why you uh, you're having me on the show. This is a Toho film. <laughs> yeah, it is. Toho. <laughs> it was distributed the, by Toho. Toho's logo appears in this movie. Toho had a hand in this. <laughs> like and Tencent. Toho Tencent was another big one. Like the especially for the Chinese market, Tencent, the folks that do like League yeah. of Legends, among other things. <laughs> yeah, with, speaking of that, and I remember reading about this actually right after the movie came out uh, that there was apparently a bit of controversy in the Chinese markets <laughs> yeah yeah so there is a line that references a racist schoolyard rhyme and it was like as soon as the chinese audience figured out what it was it like it was immediately pulled from theaters and they very quickly edited a new version and redistributed it yeah that line did not appear in my viewing in february here on the the digital distributed version and i doubt it appeared in your version no i saw it in the theater right but was that line that was cut I, in the movie? i don't remember i honestly don't okay. remember i would have to be told what the line was and then uh, I um, might be able they to talk tell. about like you know something about wh whose knees are these they're chinese like it's it's really not a good line at all it's a dumb joke for yeah one. uh was that like one of the soldiers or something at the beginning that was making that i think so but yeah i, I didn't i didn't catch it in my viewing i guess it could be there but i didn't see yeah. it yeah i don't I know doubt it was in yours i don't know i would have to go back and say because well, well yeah. let's make uh, let's full disclosure here i actually saw this in the theater when it came out because we have a theater here yeah. on the island <laughs> the denim theater because uh, i approached you to talk about this movie and you said oh that would be great and then as soon as it came out i'm like i gotta make sure i see it because i'm gonna record <laughs> i'm gonna record on this and then you find out that none of your theaters are carrying it so <laughs> yeah nobody was open nobody was carrying it i would have had to drive like an hour and even then i was like I don't know if it's worth it. I'll just wait. Yeah. And so thankfully they did put it out fairly quickly. I mean, two and a half month turnarounds, not bad. Yeah. To watch a movie that was in theaters. They should have just released it digitally to, be, to begin with. Well, like I, uh, I, applaud, I applaud them for being like, it's theaters, dang it, because I don't want theaters to die. But it did. I mean, I don't either. But the thing sure. that can, does concern me, because and I'm wondering if this is, it, it's going to be very difficult to start calculating how much money movies make at this point, because I'm looking at right. your notes here, and it's a $60 million budget, worldwide gross, worldwide, apparently, 23.3 million. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but that that's just I guess that's probably just the theater. include digital sales. Yeah, that's the yeah, problem. That should just be the theater. Yeah, that, that's the problem. So you got to worry about digital sales, and then if you you've got stuff like like mm -hmm. you know like this whole thing with uh, with HBO Max and Warner Brothers, how are they supposed to be able to calculate if a movie's successful if you have to some if you have to you know if you have the hard numbers from a theater, but then how do you calculate the money that you're making from HBO Max with it? Exactly. You know, yeah. or I mean, it's, it's at it's least weird. easier with the Disney Plus thing where mm -hmm. you know it's disney plus premium where you have to fork over 30 bucks and you can watch whatever movie that they have in this case it was mulan and to be honest after hearing some of the things i've Which heard they about haven't that done mulan movie i have mulan. zero interest in ever watching it <laughs> so i I don't know. The whole thing's confusing, and I did notice that Disney really only did that for Mulan. But then when the when Soul, the new Pixar movie, came out, they didn't do the premium thing they just put it on disney plus when they would have put it out in theater so i i don't know i don't know how to figure it out anymore man <laughs> so i don't know if i can call this a successful movie or not <laughs> 
So now that we really know the like the basics of the film, let's go kind of shot by shot in a generic sense and talk about like, you know, the basic plot, what happens and, you know, what we think about it. So Nathan, you're the one that took the the very detailed chronological notes. Let's start with you. Cuz I know the pieces of where things start, but uh, I mean, I well, didn't write it all down. Well, I was sitting in the theater, uh, you know, typing out notes on my phone in airplane mode yes yeah because course. i'm not a jerk yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> we're, prof- no, we're uh, professional critics out. not assholes <laughs> yes <laughs> i know a few a-holes though they make some very good podcasts yeah, well i mean <laughs> it is what it is <laughs> yeah but we've already kind of covered a few of mine already i am going to here's my opening statement for this and I this is no secret I texted this to you my takeaway value walking out of the theater was this is one of the emptiest movies I have seen in a long time <laughs> <laughs> it really is it's so it's really lacking in substance <laughs> there's like nothing I mean, to chew I mean I was expecting all right come on give me a little bit give me a little bit you got nothing you got nothing you still got nothing nothing okay we're uh we're moving on but that that's my takeaway value from this and I was a little bit shocked by this I mean I've seen some of Paul W.S. Anderson's other movies and I thought those had a little bit more substance than this my gosh Alien versus Predator had more substance than this yeah I actually kind of like that movie <laughs> it's not the greatest alien I, uh, movie it's for amusing sure, but, I will admit I don't ever want to watch Requiem if I can help it no but... no I watched it once and I'm like, oh, that's, that's fine no more of this <laughs> yeah but uh so we've covered a few of them already and then the my next note says uh first scene is exciting but I oh but I know nothing about these characters so we've already covered that and then the next thing I had is that uh it switches over mm-hmm. from the uh the monster hunter world to Yes, I have a soundboard, people. It switches over to the real world, and I think it's meant to be, you know, some parallelism is what is intended here, because we go from the monster world desert to what I'm assuming is supposed to be the Middle East, because this is what was really confusing. It doesn't tell you where, it tells you where you are, but not really, Yeah. because it gives you latitude and longitude coordinates, and I am unfortunately not up on my latitude and longitude coordinates, so I'm like, (laughs) what in the, why are you trying to be all cool and clever something? Because I have no idea what these mean. Can you tell me where this is? I mean, you could do both if you wanted to. You're like, latitude and longitude and give me the name of the country. I mean, come on. We're trying to be clever here. Yeah, right. But yeah. And the other thing, and this is what threw me off, and this is why I say there's so little substance in this because there's not enough getting established. I have no idea why these soldiers are here. I think the implication is that it's supposed to be like the war in in, uh, Iraq or Afghanistan's thereabouts, but they never really tell you. And my thought was, if that's the case, is this even relevant anymore? No one really talks about that. What I find hilarious is they signify that we're in the modern world by showing a Coke can. And there's another movie- Of course. That uses a Coke can, and I don't remember what it is, but it like drops in a tribal situation and it completely changes everything. Oh, it's uh, it's the gods must be crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, and I think there's a little bit of a parallel to that personally, but I don't know. So it opens with a Coke can, and I'm going to look up this latitude real quick. <laughs> yeah, because I would really love to know, because it would have been nice if they could have established that. All they really tell us about these characters is that they're on a rescue mission because there was another team that went out into the desert and disappeared. And uh, that's about it. I was like, I would like some more motivations here. 
I would like to know more about these characters, you know, and stuff like that. And the funny thing was, as I was watching the movie, and we, we just mentioned AVP, I was actually thinking back, not to AVP, but to the original Predator. And I kept wishing that this movie had been structured, at least initially, like the original Predator, where we get a little bit of a glimpse of the Predator ship flying to Earth. So we establish, okay, this is a science fiction film and there's going to be an alien in it. But then we get to spend a little bit of time with Arnold Schwarzenegger and his team. Right. You know, uh, you know, having, you know, fun little character moments together and then going on a mission together so we can see that these characters are friends and they are highly competent. We don't really get that in this. We just get them, we get a few minutes of them singing together and goofing around and they joke, like there's a joke about, you know, I just have it written down and it says, the, you know, ladies joke is funny though. And, you know, I think they're cracking up. I think it was because they were saying that, uh, it was about how uh, Jovovich, who's the token woman in, on this team, she's the only woman. Yeah. And she's uh, bossing all these guys around. And I think she was calling them ladies. And they thought it was kind of funny that the token lady is calling all of them ladies. And I thought, okay, that is pretty funny, actually. Yeah. Because uh, army rangers, uh, female army rangers are incredibly rare. I actually did look that up. I think only the first ones graduated into ranger from ranger school basically two years ago. So <laughs> so I don't know if she's the only woman. I, I swear there's another one. And so I'm looking at this Maybe scene there now. Is? Yeah, I think... I think there's I think there's one other lady. Okay, she was so unimportant that I completely forgot. Yeah, so. yeah. The, the, <laughs> okay, so pretty quickly we lose these soldiers. Don't get attached. <laughs> yeah, see, and that's the other thing that bugged me. So we take at least a tiny bit of time establishing these characters, yeah. but then they all die inside of 20 minutes, and we never see them again. It's like, come on, at least Predator spread it out. Yeah. So we could, you know, see all of these other characters, but they basically, they were basically only there to be monster fodder because the goal was to get Artemis, I should say Artemis as the character's name, yeah. alone for the rest of the movie, mm -hmm. you know, or at least the only person from our world in the Monster Hunter world, because that's not going to get old. <laughs> So, you know, and all of that. So I'm just like, come on. Horror movies are, be bad horror movies are better about spreading out this stuff out than For sure. this movie is. I mean, I was even pointing out, I was like, come on, you're using the tried and true tropes. Like the one guy has a photo of his family. And I'm like, come on, if you're in a movie, you never do this because you're guaranteed to die. Death by trope, my friend. And, it's just, and then 10 minutes later, I even put it in my notes, called it, he's dead. Yeah, doesn't and take it, long. And not only that, he he tries to, he does this heroic death and his sacrifice means nothing. <laughs> so he is quickly impaled on the horns of a Diablos. But according to my calculations, yeah. the area that this takes place in is Afghanistan. And I don't know why okay, they didn't that makes just sense. say Afghanistan. Yeah, just say Afghanistan. It's It would have been a nice shorthand. And like, okay, then I have at least an idea yeah. of what's going but on. But apparently these are also you United know, But again, Nations I don't soldiers. even know how relevant that is anymore. Yeah, what? they're United Nations soldiers, not necessarily from the U.S., although they're likely from yeah. the U.S. So they're here trying to Probably, find another team. And, of course, they uh, they get transported through this weird, like, electrical storm. Yeah, and then that doesn't really get explained until toward the end of the movie, which, even is then. A little <laughs> uh, which is a little discombobulating. And then, yeah, it doesn't really get explained all that well no. <laughs> when they do explain it. I'm just like, what the frick are you doing, movie? And uh, now, I will give credit where credit is due. This movie, this script screws up on a lot of things. However, I will say that their foreshadowing and their buildup 
to when you start seeing the monsters appear is actually pretty good. Yeah. Like the, you know, because they established very quickly, we're trying to find another team and that team disappeared. Oh, look, there's a storm. Uh, We don't know what the heck just happened. Let's keep looking around. Hey, look, that's the other team's Humvee. And I have to admit, every time I see a Humvee, it makes me think of my dear home state of Indiana because the Humvee factory in Mishawaka was within spitting distance of my grandparents. So we would every time we went to go visit them, we would see the factory with lines of Humvees. It was amazing. <laughs> so it always makes me a little nostalgic. Right. But all of that to say, so then they find the this uh, Humvee. It's been torched. They find, I think they find, de- you know, desiccated corpses. I don't remember. They find yeah. what's left of the team, which isn't a lot. But then, and this is actually re- a really cool detail, but they say, what's with all the glass? Because the sand had been melted into glass. I'm like, okay, that's actually really cool. Yeah. And I'm glad that they paid attention to that. Because that don't not only foreshadow, in a larger sense, it foreshadows the monsters, but what it really does is it foreshadows Rathalos. Right, which I thought was a weird detail to show for this team. It means that the Rathalos had killed this team and not the Diablos. And the Diablos is who we assume did it because that's the first one we run into, right? Diablos doesn't breathe fire. Rathalos does. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then the my next bit was that I just like, the spider leaves her alone because she's dead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't understand. She that. gets it's put like, to sleep, if, essentially. Because I'm going to tell you right now, carnivores will eat stuff that's already dead. Right, yeah. So it's one of those situations where the Nursilla, their poison is enough to put them to sleep, which they uh, use against the Diablos later. So she gets stung basically immediately as soon as they enter this cave, running away from the Diablos. And yeah. she drops and all the other soldiers run off. And most of them are killed yeah. by the Nursilla in these scenes. And I did seriously think that she had been impaled at that point. Yeah. So, I mean, if I mean, obviously there was nobody there to really explain it. But maybe if it could have been said later, it's like, well, the spider only, the Nursilla, I'll use the right term, <laughs> only eats live food. I'm like, okay, I can go with that. Right. But Yeah, they, yeah. they just get anyway. attacked. Like, they, they get out of... Danger of the Diablos. Diablos, like, begrudgingly runs off. And then they're immediately facing down, like, eight Nursilla. <laughs> yeah. Now, I will admit, I thought overheating the bullets, her overheating the bullets to get away from the Nursilla, that was clever. Yeah, and there's some I wish really good more. I wish horror. more movies did stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. there's really cool body horror in this segment of scenes. Like, the last soldier, I think, that we see who stumbles out and she's, like, trying to save him, he like lifts up his shirt and he's got all these pustules and they break oh, out and all the little spiders come out. It was nasty. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I was like, was. whoa, this uh, film is getting gross. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, and then the next note I have, it's uh the the ring in the Altoids can. Now yeah. I will again I will give credit where credit is due. I like the fact that the significance of that is communicated visually, mm-hmm. and they actually do a pretty good job of it. And they didn't do anything like, oh, look, here's a flashback to her and her uh, to her and her husband and things like that. No, there's none of that. Yeah. There's none of that. It's communicated visually. I like it. And then it's and then it's never mentioned again, basically. Yeah, no, <laughs> the it's, rest it's of the just movie. like a character background detail. Like, oh, this is a character yeah. that has something to lose. We don't know what she yeah, would lose. It's, it's there to establish that she has a little bit more of a motivation to get back to the to our world right but then it's never brought up again like come on i was like if you're 
if you are really that focused on getting back to your husband, I think that's going to get brought up a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, because we've seen plenty of stories where it's a male protagonist and his goal is to get back to his wife. Uh, it's a, you it's know? a war trope. Like, so much Godzilla of the 2014, of this movie, The Odyssey, you know. Right. It reminds <laughs> me so much of like Michael Bay, where it's such a focus and like the mythology basically of the military. Yeah. And then we get into something yeah. more like Tomb Raider. The like reboot of Tomb Raider, where it's all about survival, and there's the graphic situations happening, and she's using every bit of resources she has to fight off these spider monsters. And so once she gets away from that nest, she runs into the hunter again, Jaws character, and he actually uh, teams up and helps her a little bit. But they they get into kind of a scuffle. So he, he like takes him back to her, his home. Yeah, his uh, where he's been holed up because the I guess he's just been trying to survive out there. We don't know how long he's been out right, there. Right, because but... he fell off the boat in the beginning of the movie. He was knocked off, so he's just surviving in the desert. <laughs> yeah, and the they get into yeah they get into a fight, and I'm thinking, come on, this is Tony Jaa. You can't be Tony Jaa. Right. Yeah. Like, especially when you're worn out and injured. Good luck with it's, that. It's it's a fun fight though. I like how it's, they're so like scrappy. Yeah. Yeah. But the and actually, honestly, the parts between Artemis and the hunter are probably the best parts of the movie. I like the fact that they had a language barrier and they had to overcome the language barrier. Right. That made things interesting. And she at that point became the proxy for the audience. She's learning about the world through him, just like the audience is. So I mean, I like there there's I'm like, there's good stuff here. There's good stuff here. Mm-hmm. I like the bit with the Hershey bar. Yeah, that <laughs> where was fun. He introduces him. He introduces him to God's gift of chocolate. <laughs> basically and it also gives them some more product placement so we had coke before now we're getting it's an actual hershey bar right and they're not hiding that it's a hershey bar yeah she's like here you want a bite of this hershey's brand chocolate <laughs> almost it's not quite wizard levels of you it's the i love the power glove it's so bad but it's it's pretty blatant <laughs> yeah it is pretty blatant so in these scenes we get like a lot of interactions uh we see the hunter like use healing herbs to he like cleans up his wounds i guess is the word for it and so we mm-hmm. see like some of the like video game elements start to come into play we see his weapons the longbow the one sword from the sword and shield combo we, see, we he has the great sword like all these weapons are in the game and so it's cool to see like that he has all this preparation and so together they decide in order to get our hunter home and to learn more about this world and presumably get artemis home we have to take out the diablos because in order to get there there's a lot of sand, and the Diablos is basically just circling this desert. And so he pops up anytime there's like any sort of sound or anything on the sand. Yeah, their initial motivation is I have to get back to where my Humvee and my gear is because I, uh, or uh, get back to the storm to go through the portal. Oh, wait, the Diablos is in the way. Yeah. We have to deal with the Diablos. Now, I want to back up a little bit and talk about that. Talk about that. You mentioned. That, you know, this is set in a desert. And I know in your notes, you're like, it's a bland setting because it's just a desert. Here's my counter argument to that, good sir. Okay. I have no way of knowing. I would have to, would have, uh, I should have done some research on this before I thought of this. But I am 100, well, 99% sure they filmed that on location. That's a real desert. They didn't green screen this. No, it's it's (laughs) on location. I forget where they, it's like somewhere in Africa, I think, is where they said they filmed it. So I'm just saying, 
If this was filmed on location, I don't care if it's a desert. That's a real desert. Yeah, at <laughs> least it's real. But my problem with this movie <laughs> is the setting real. compared to the settings and like the lushness of the of even the first game is just like they're not comparable because in this movie, aside from the main monsters, we get, I think, two other monsters, the like Ankylosaurus looking one and the one that pops out of the sand that he cooks. Other than that, yep. we don't get any of the like weird birds or, you know, the monkeys or ants or any of those. It's just you know, a few monsters, there's one jungle scene that looks pretty lush and cool, and that's where we see the ankylosaurus for the first time, and that's, like, probably a two-minute scene at best. <laughs> yeah, is that the one where the monster pops out of the water? Yeah, well, it doesn't pop out of the water, it pops out of the sand, and he, like, oh. cuts its head off. Yeah, that's what I mean, then he's like, <laughs> he starts laughing at her, I'm like, really, dude? You you basically put her at risk for a prank? Yeah. <laughs> But the of course they have to kill the Diablos to get to that scene. So they they just the the hunter is like, hey, we can use the Narcilla against the Diablos, and if we use their stinger, it'll put them to sleep. So they go back into the nest. They they kill a Narcilla and they take its stinger, and it's pretty cool because he like he takes this hunk of like monster and puts it on the table yeah. and like strips it and all this gunk and stuff, and he wraps the the stinger around his arrow. And this is shortly after he's introduced to God's gift of Velcro. I've right, yeah. <laughs> it's really cool how they did some of the like practical effects in this, I think, because there's not very many of them, but it's all kind of involved around the, the monster parts. And those I yeah. thought were really cool. Here's something else. And I kind of wish, I, I, I guess it made sense in the moment, and she starts to embrace it more later, but I actually think it would have been interesting because there's a point where she gets a hold of one of the turrets in her on her, on the Humvee and mm -hmm. uses it to shoot at the Diablos. And I'm like, you know, I think I actually would have preferred if she had just been completely stripped of all of her military gear and she had to embrace the fantasy world in order to survive, but yeah, you know, which is what she does later, basically. Right. But I still thought it was like, you know what? It would have been interesting if, like, just after that first initial arrival, right. and all the all of her gear gets trashed, and she's like, "I'm a soldier, but I don't have my gear. What do I do?" And then the hunter's like, "Well, let me tell you how we do things here." You yeah. know that sort of a thing. I know it's I know it would be really tropey, but it works. Yeah. But none of their tools and stuff works. Like, the, the guns don't pierce the skins of the Diablos. They throw grenades in its face, mm -hmm. and it basically does nothing. And enough to, like, knock it over, basically. She shoots the, the law missile launcher at it, which is not an RPG, <laughs> which is what they call it in the movie. And yeah. uses the big turret and does nothing. So, like, it, it's weird that these guns don't do a whole lot. I mean, obviously, they kill a couple of the Nursilla with some pistol shots and stuff. But, yeah, yeah I don't know. It, it's weird. Because, of course, in this time, the hunter's like, these are our weapons, they're good weapons, we know they work on monsters, mm -hmm. they set traps, they go to the ship graveyard, where apparently a lot of ships have been destroyed, and so yeah, they like, which find is more weapons one of those, stuff. Which was one of those world-building moments that implies more stuff, but again, yeah. there's not really a whole lot of explanation, but I think it's you're just supposed to infer it's so that close. a lot of stuff has been happening. <laughs> It's so close to getting it right because we get these like environmental yeah. details that tell a larger story, but it only yeah. just like it's the first sentence of any of these stories. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. The opening sentence. Yeah. <laughs> it might be a really good opening sentence, yeah. but I, I still need to know. I mean, you, you, when you read Moby Dick, you don't start at, you don't just end at call me Ishmael. You keep reading. <laughs> right. Exactly. The, the issue that I have with this next scene is we get like a montage, basically like a training montage. And 
<laughs> now this is a power in the I game, so the it makes sense. I of the tiger. It's pretty the much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we do get white lightning earlier in the film, but uh, so she she uses dual swords, which is a weapon style. Every weapon is basically a class. So great swords, a class, various weapon, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, so she uses dual swords, and he teaches her that if you raise them in the air and clink them together, a bunch of energy swirls around it. But where does that energy come from? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That was the other thing. It's like, so it does things. I'm like, why does it do that? Yeah. And they're just <laughs> even basic if I knew iron the weapons. games, I would be like, why does it do that? You might want to tell the audience. Yeah, they don't explain how these work. Oh, it's chi or it's elemental energy yeah, or just, whatever. It's, it's just something stupid. Yeah. Or. Or, or tired. I don't care. It's better than nothing. And it's not just her weapon, because we see it later in the film. I'm just like, what? <laughs> they, they have magic now? <laughs> like, what is this? Yeah, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And it's around this time, actually, and I have this in my notes, that I start to really pay attention to the soundtrack. And it sounds... I, I put down this, like, this soundtrack is weirdly techno, almost Tron Legacy. <laughs> yeah, which I don't mind, honestly. I think that the soundtrack is I don't is mind cool. it either, but it was still weird. <laughs> it is And weird. I love yeah. that soundtrack so much mm -hmm. that you know anyone trying to be daft punk when they're not daft punk is you know good luck yeah. i'm just saying it's a cool <laughs> sound but it definitely is the type of thing you would expect in like stranger things or you know a reboot yeah. of the terminator or something yeah in the 80s. and you know and then uh and then i also put down no I, i'm I'm not, I think I know what scene this was for. I think it was, might've been when they finally, uh, spoiler warning, they kill the Diablos. Yeah, we're not. Yeah. I mean, th it, this is Monster Hunter we're talking about they here. They hunt so the really monsters, surprise. Spoil, but, uh, <laughs> uh, and I just wrote down, uh, no broken bones, no internal bleeding. I'm Tony freaking jaw. <laughs> <laughs> the, I actually like the monster interactions. I think that the way that they hunt is actually pretty cool. And we thought about it. Most missions in Monster Hunter are set to about 50 minutes. And that's about what we have of this Diablo fight is like 50 minutes mm -hmm. of film. Granted, it's not 50 minutes in universe at all. But it's no, just a it's weird like three detail days, that's but... kind of interesting if you know the games. Mm -hmm. That is actually kind of clever, that as I think about yeah. it. So they, they, beat the, they beat the Diablos and they make their way towards presumably where the other hunters are. And up on the, lit, the terrace or whatever. And... Along the way, they are in the woods, it's dark, and all of a sudden, the, like, Ankylosaur runs through on fire, and they see the Rathalos in the distance. And it's, like, blowing fire and, and basically attacking, but not really paying much attention to the humans. And so there's a bit of a scuffle. We're introduced to the Admiral again. Uh, he, like, comes in with a switch axe, swings it, and makes this big energy wave, which, again... No idea how this works. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the other characters show up, they save our heroes, and then they reconvene and said, all right, I'm the Admiral, I speak English. And she's like, what? <laughs> and so she learns yeah, a little basically. bit about this culture. And it's in these scenes that we get some of, like, very, very, very little of the, like, village scenes in Monster Hunter. And we do get the Meowskular Chef, who freaks out Artemis. Rightly so. <laughs> and then he does a little, like, cooking thing, which is basically the same animation you get in the game. And, you know, that's that's a nice touch, at least. Yeah, but then uh, I, I, I was just writing down just 
question after question, you know, <laughs> like I put down. Yeah, you know, at this point, you know, I had I have things like uh, uh, I put down. It's about dang time we got some explanation and context for this world. Yeah, needs more. Who are these people? <laughs> and then I put down. Does the sky tower move? How does it open? I had so <laughs> many questions. Yeah, so they they determined that these monsters are freaking out, and the reason that the worlds are meshing in between ours and the Monster Hunter world is this this construct called the sky tower which i think is in the games but they also imply that it's there's something weird going on here that's like magical in nature because later in the film we see a guy in a hood and that doesn't happen yeah oh geez (laughs) don't get me started on the ending we'll get to the ending when we get there yeah so they determine all right we need to go to the sky tower we're gonna gear up and we're gonna kick the hell out of the rathalos yeah have fun with that yeah and but i just like how does what is the sky tower? How does it work? <laughs> why do, does it? Why does? Uh, does it open all the time? How long does it open? Right. How often does it open? Can you know? Can people from the Monster Hunter world go into the, uh, go the other way? Yeah. But you know, why aren't more people from our world going? There? There's I. This is the problem because it's not loose. only am I a podcaster, I am a speculative fiction writer. Right. So I have to ask myself these questions when I'm world building. Exactly. This is not good world building at all. I, I think to Paul W.S. Anderson asked maybe two of these questions and then stopped when he had about 10 more after that. This, so, yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm being generous. It was probably more than that. Oh, but. yeah, for sure. But they, they gear up, which is kind of cool, and they get into a fight with the Rathalos. And a lot of this is just neat hunter things and cool maneuvers mostly and the admiral swinging around the axe making all these waves it's still very weird and then that's when we get some serious music video editing yeah yeah there's a lot of like you know the the paul ws anderson like traditional slowdown in weird moments it's almost to the point like of a Zack snyder film (laughs) i actually i think i found myself uh, thinking you know what i think i prefer michael bay at this point (laughs) i mean honestly yeah some of some of the, the like, Transformer stuff is cooler than this. But, uh, so they fight the Rathalos, and the <laughs> yeah, Rathalos, yeah, don't like, hate throws us. them into a portal <laughs> that opens up somehow. <laughs> and so it's, at that point, it's just Artemis and the Rathalos back in our world. We don't know that at first, though. Like, Artemis gets tossed into a portal, and she's yeah. like, sweet, I'm home, and lands in the desert, and then is saved yeah, by soldiers. Yeah, and I, I'm not kidding you. My note at that point was... That's it? There it is. This climax is lame. Yeah. (laughs) Now, this is probably the best part of the movie for me, because the way the Rathalos is animated is better, in my opinion, than the Diablos, and I like the idea of it just, like, taking out military helicopters and stuff. It's cool. Yeah, that's when we get into some very Toho kaiju, traditional kaiju action. Yeah. At that point, it, like, where rips off the, top of the, the Rathalos fighting like, the military, crazy. and I mean, I, although I will admit, it, I thought I actually put down because that's when when the Rathalos does attack the uh, the plane because mm-hmm. they go through the whole song and dance of they find uh, Artemis gets rescued and she's being given medical care. They put her on an airplane and they're gonna take her away, and yeah, and then the Rathalos attacks, and then I put that's brother. Although it would have been funny if it ended with it uh, was it all a dream. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a tired trope, but it at least would have been really funny. Yeah. <laughs> so she like fights the Rathalos. Some of this is really cool, and they end up killing it by like 
the the Rathalos spits out a gas before it breathes flames, and so they ignite mm-hmm. that, that gas. That which was and, foreshadowed earlier. Yeah, and it was uh, foreshadowed. Because they were talking so about that. I like this Rathalos encounter. I think it's cool. And we get, like, a lot of neat scenes of, you know, monster versus machine, and she, like, splits its wing, mm-hmm. and there's some really cool stuff here. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the thing I will admit, and I wrote this down, uh, that I thought was actually kind of interesting, is that the Rathalos is killed using a combination of tech and techniques from both our world and Monster Hunter world. Good Again, point. Again, will not get old. <laughs> <laughs> interesting observation. I hadn't made that connection. Yeah, yeah. But I also then put down... What happened to the other characters? And I also, how have no other monsters ever crossed over before? And yeah. <laughs> Why is this suddenly okay. now a problem? <laughs> yeah, basically. And then we get to the freaking ending. Oh, ah. this ending is anti-ending. This ending, it's not even sequel baiting. No. I'm sorry. The the actual ending of the movie isn't even, because... It's not even sequel baiting. It's just a... It does like a false ending, Artemis accomplishes her goal. She gets back to Earth. Uh Uh-huh. And then suddenly she's like, within 10 minutes, suddenly she's like, we have to go back. I'm like, you just got back. And now you want (laughs) to... Oh, gosh. Because, like, she's in our world. They kill the Rathalos. And at some point, the other hunters show up again. And then the 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 rift opens up and we see the tower in our world and at that point the fan favorite creature gormagala flies in and i'm like oh it's getting real now cuz i love gormagala it's an awesome creature and at that point it like the movie ends and i'm like what yeah the movie ends i'm like what the frick is that that is a terrible ending yeah. oh wait Oh, wait. There's more. Paul W.S. Anderson saw himself some Marvel movies. So he's like, wait a minute. <laughs> Here's a mid-credit scene. Yeah. And it's and it's not all that much better. No, it just extends that scene further. There's no closure. It's just them fighting Gormagala a little bit. And then this weird wizard guy is there. And I'm like, who is that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, who the frick is that thing? I actually had to look up articles online to see if anyone had any explanation for what it was. And it wasn't very good because I don't remember any of it. So Right, yes. Yeah, my only, from a lore perspective, thought is maybe it's a Wavarian and maybe this has something to do with the ancient peoples or whatever. But, like, magic is not something we run into in Monster Hunter. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, what the frick is that? It's, so it's like, it's a terrible ending to begin with, and then it does terrible sequel baiting. I have just like, what the, f- it just, this, why did you split this up? Yeah. I just, ah! It's, it's just, and they it could have just me. ended with the Rathalos It kind of broke fight. me at that point. I think somebody somewhere was like, oh, we got to get the Gormagala in there. People are going to love the Gormagala. And they just like shoehorned it in the very end. But if they just would have ended with the Rathalos fight and been like, something, something, we're going to come back to this. And don't and show the Gormagala and that's it and movie over. Maybe it would have felt better, but this movie's ending is just like it's such a weird feeling, especially if you're a fan of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's just. I mean, I understand. I think what they were going for is they wanted to have one of these sort of open-ended endings mm-hmm. where an even bigger enemy has shown up. But the implication is that the, our heroes will be able to handle it. Yeah, because now they're pro- working won't get to see them whatever, do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. But uh, so it's an ending that theoretically can work, but I thought it was just so poorly implemented. Right. That I'm just like, come. Now, years on. from now, if we get, presumably, we're going to get a sequel to this movie because Anderson is the type of director to do sequels. 
and like do things in trilogies and stuff. So if we get a couple more movies out of this, looking back on it, this ending might not be as bad. But Possibly. the idea that there's just this movie and nothing else currently, it's it's a very strange feeling. <laughs> it is. I don't know how much a sequel would help because I know the Resident Evil movies well enough to know that they're full of retcons. So Yeah. <laughs> so I, I would be down with They might just trilogy, retcon personally. it and forget the ending to that this one even happened. Yeah, so. maybe. I don't know. But I would love to see more of like the, the Monster Hunter villages and the people and their culture. Like, I think that's what's really missing from this movie. And if we would have had more of that, I think it would have been far better. At least in the world building department. Yeah, this is very much just a straight up survival action movie. Yeah, yeah. It is an action monster movie and that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, that's basically it. And I think that's in large part because, I mean, we talked about it. I mean, $60 million yeah. seems like a lot. But in Hollywood, that's kind of chump change. Right. So mm -hmm. I, I wonder if they had been limited by their budget, you know, and they they invested a lot of that $60 million into making those monsters look good. Yeah. Because hot dang do those monsters look good. But it's not like <laughs> these monsters are symbolic in any way to the characters. Like, they're literally no. just monsters. <laughs> they're they're just up. They're, they're just antagonists. Yeah. They're just there to be obstacles. Yeah. And granted, that is pretty similar to what we see in the games, but I, I just would have wanted a little bit more from this movie in the substance department. So I guess now that we've we've come to the end, it's it's happened. You can watch this movie on Amazon Prime is where I bought it. I think you can get it on some other distributors as well. It's going to be physically released here pretty soon. It was 20 bucks for me. So if you can get this movie like as a rental, a rental I think is where this belongs. I had to buy it. <laughs> so if you can rent yeah. it for a few dollars on YouTube or something... It's not a bad way to spend an evening, especially yeah, if you like these it's games. Not, it, yeah, it's not, it's not offensively bad. No. It's not something that will annoy you. It's entertaining, but it is, it is one of the emptiest movies. I mean, like, it yeah. is the textbook. That, you know how, you know, you have like, I don't know, I'm just going to grab a movie out of thin air. Sure. You know, the Seven Samurai. Okay. Seven Samurai is a, you know, is a, five-star restaurant, you know, a, a three-course meal of the best food that you can get, you know. Mm -hmm. And then you have something like Transformers. That's like going to McDonald's. Exactly, you know? yeah. It's delicious, but it's not good for you. This movie is freaking cotton candy because it's full of air yes. and sugar. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it is a it very, looks very pretty. basic snack. It looks pretty, but there's nothing there. Yeah. Just... And it, uh, I don't, it could have been better, but it could have been far worse. Yes, I've seen worse movies. I have I've seen worse seen movies from worse Anderson. Movies. So I think I, I might <laughs> be watching worse movies right now, but. Right, yeah. So I don't know. For me, like, as a fan of this franchise, like, it's one of my favorite game series ever, and Capcom is one of my favorite, like, developers. Like, I think this movie's fine. Of course, seeing the monsters and stuff, really cool. Uh, some of the CG could be better. The I really like all the, like, the the gore and the gross angles and stuff. I thought that was a nice touch. And I kind of like when this movie almost gets to horror, I'm like here for it. I think it's really neat. Yeah. And then the, the first hour I think is fine. That whole survival drama between them and the Diablo is like, that's the film at its best. Mm -hmm. Aside from that Rathalos fight is really good. Yeah. And at least you have a little bit of an excuse to not fully explain everything because yeah. there's a language barrier. Mm hmm. And Which I so personally you don't can't like. just explain things to her. Right. I know oh, you, you don't like the language barrier? Yeah, you said that you found that interesting. I think that you could have cut that out entirely, and that they just could have been communicating in English and teaching each other about 
why this world is different, rather than not being able to talk at all. And a lot of the, the like, humor comes from that language barrier, so I, I don't know. I, it didn't work for me. I actually thought it was one of the uh, one of the closest bits to actual substance that we got <laughs> in characterization. Yeah, granted, so. you take that out, I, not I'm much like... left, but I think it could have been replaced. <laughs> so so that's it man that is monster hunter the film (laughs) yeah basically now a sequel comes out would you go watch it because i would i i probably would but i would probably go to a matinee yeah i'm not paying full price for this that's fair Uh, and i mean and the prices here at the at the denim theater are already a little bit jacked up to begin with so Uh for some odd reason the board doesn't give out employee discounts not anymore, anyway, because ah, I don't care if they're if they're listening to this or not. They're jerks, anyway. <laughs> I I really want this pandemic to be over with, so I can like support local theaters and you know go to indie festivals and uh, I I want that. But I, I haven't hey, been in an uh, area for uh, that. Let me tell you, if you ever want to come to Monster Island and you know, talk about something, I mean, I've I've talked with you about possibly coming on and uh, at some point. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jimmy is very good about keeping the guests safe and getting them to the island, so I think you'll be okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't put myself in danger very often, but I, I feel like I would do it not only to see you know, the monsters in their natural habitat. But I mean, mm-hmm. I love these movies. I've been watching mm-hmm. nothing but Obviously. monster movies for like months. <laughs> it's one of my favorite yeah. genres. And uh, I, uh, I, I, I can't confirm, but I, I have heard rumors that the, uh, there are some teams being sent out to see if they can uh, acquire a Rathalos to add to the island because you know, they with this movie and the, with the popularity of the games, they're like, you know what? A Rathalos would be a great attraction. So. Yeah, yeah. I totally am down with that. <laughs> so let's talk, let's, let's break away a little bit from films and just talk about not only the, the games we've been playing, but uh, any of the like, franchises, movies, comics, whatever that we've been into. So we'll start with you, man. What, what have you been playing? What's been like, keeping you interested? Oh, I, I have developed a very bad habit of accumulating games and getting through them way too slow. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Story of my life. <laughs> um, so, there's a, there, so there are too many games that I could bring up. Uh, I had to actually, I had to limit it to four. Yes. Okay. It's absurd <laughs> that I had to limit it to four when four is probably too many for most people. Uh, I have been playing through Doom 2016. Excellent game. And I, I got to say, it is more fun than I thought it would be. It's so cool. <laughs> I really. If you finish this and like it, please go play Doom Eternal. It's incredible. <laughs> oh, I uh, I have a feeling I will be playing Doom Eternal yes. very soon. It's sick because uh, I would like to. Po- I would just like to say, over the weekend, I managed to finally kill the Cyber Demon, which I know for most Doom players, they'd be like, <laughs> "How quaint," but. <laughs> Hey, he's a tough. Don't fight. don't don't ruin my moment, man! I killed the freaking cyber demon. Hell yeah! Mm. Really excited to, to see you play through those games. Are, are you on PC or PS4? Uh, it's uh, uh Xbox. Oh, okay, actually. cool. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I have an Xbox now. I uh, I have an Xbox One now. Fancy. I have an Xbox One and a PS4, so it's a little nutty. Nice, but. And then uh, I am also playing Batman Arkham Knight. That has been an ongoing project for a really long time because, good God, that game is hard to 100%. Oh, okay. See, I stopped playing after (sighs) Asylum. I couldn't, like, I played most of City, or the one after it. I I think it's City. And I just couldn't. Yeah, City was, uh, it was City and then Origin, but Origin was made by a different team. Right, yeah. I would like to go down uh, and go through the Batman uh, games. I've been, uh, I've played through all of them. I have uh, at currently the Arkham Asylum is the only game I have ever platinumed on PlayStation. Nice, and I'm very proud of that. Very cool. And I 
think I finished all but one really obnoxious thing in City. So maybe at some point I should go back and actually finish that one last silly thing. Yeah, if you're inclined but to. my gosh. Oh, I love I, I love Arkham Knight, but my gosh, trying to 100% it is just tedious. <laughs> like, if you hated the Riddler trophies in any of the other games, it is even more tedious in this one. Huh. And that's the last thing I have left to do in the main story wow. before I start doing the gobs of expansions that are on it. And I've already done a little bit of the expansions. <laughs> so, because I'm just like, well, it's here, so I may as well do it. But God, I hate these stupid Riddler trophies. This is why I don't so do tedious. a whole lot of trophy hunting, because I love playing games to completion as long as it's not a trophy completion. <laughs> Oh, no, it's not for trophy completion. I have to get all the Riddler trophies so I can get the true ending to the game. Oh, no. It's like I Kingdom have to Hearts. get all of the Riddler trophies, and there's 250 of oh, them. Oh, my gosh. And I think I still have a, and I think I still have 100 to go. Wow. And then I have to fight the Riddler, beat the Riddler, and then I can go get the, uh, the actual ending. Jeez. It's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but aside from Batman, what else you got? Well, not even that stupid. I should say, I've already said it's tedious. That's what it is. It's tedious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done everything else in the main story except catch the Riddler because I guess they expect you to take more diversions to go get these trophies as you're going around doing the other missions. And unfortunately, I tend to be pretty focused to going to the other, going from one mission to the next. So I've just, I just, every time I play an Arkham game, the Riddler stuff is the last thing I finish. It always is. Right, yeah. And. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, it's ridiculous. So there's that. And uh, I've also been playing, and I've actually done some streaming for this, actually, on the podcast YouTube channel, but Override 2. Nice. Uh, which is from Modus Games, which is a Brazilian team, I just found out. Oh, interesting. And I'm actually a little surprised this game exists. I got the original one, mm -hmm. but I thought, you know, it's like, okay, this is a fun little game. I'm guessing, you know, it probably has like, it's like, it probably has like a cult following and a handful of people. Nope, it was apparently successful enough that they made a, a, a dang sequel not only did they make a dang sequel but they got a big license for it because you can play as ultraman characters in this game yeah. it's a mech game but they added the uh, netflix anime versions of four ultraman characters well if you buy the season pass you'll get them ultraman was available day one and then the other three characters will be released later yeah i saw this you'll at best Ultra buy the you'll other get, day um, i'm like ultraman's in yeah. this what <laughs> Yeah. Cool. And and it's supposed to be a mech game, which just makes it even weirder when you if you stop and think about right, it. Right, yeah. But the <laughs> and yeah, they're gonna add Ultra Seven, Ace, and Black King, which will be a bit of a uh, a change for this game because it's a mech game and Black King is actually a kaiju right so yeah. that's cool so that's gonna be a little bit different i'll be curious to see what they do what annoys me is i can't is that other than day one when i got the game i can't find anybody to play online with nobody plays this <laughs> game either that or the online is just crap because i can't find other players what platform are you on for this ps4 okay <laughs> remind me at some point maybe i'll pick it up <laughs> <laughs> override too. Oh, the first game's fun too. Right. But and there's the gameplay is different enough from each game that they both feel pretty distinct. Yeah. I would say Override 2 is faster, but it also takes a few things away from you like in the first game you could you could air dash in the in this game you can't. Oh, okay. 
Interesting. So they take away. So the game you can the gameplay is faster, but they take away some of your mobility options. Interesting. Obviously. Speaking of air dashing, this other game that you're playing is one that I really want to pick up. Yes, although I have not started playing it yet because it has not, as of this recording, it has not been made available. But I have been informed that the beta for Guilty Gear Strive is going to be made available to all PlayStation users for free. So yes. I'm getting in on that action. Yeah, and it looks. It, it was, as much as I can. It's a very, very cool, very stylish game. I love what Atlas does with fighters, and like this looks incredible. I'm really excited for yeah, it. Yeah, I have not. Uh, I haven't played every Guilty Gear oh, game ever, but I have played a lot of Guilty Gear games, and I like the Guilty Gear franchise. They're cool, and I'm really curious to see what is going to happen with Strive because Strive is going to be a bit different. Yeah. Compared to some of the other games, and depending on who you talk to, that's a good thing or a bad thing. Right. A lot of the FGC people that I watch, they're kind of really into the idea of the formula shaking up. And so we'll see. But what's there so far looks really good. <laughs> yeah. The big draw, the big draw for this, we can compare and uh, criticize the gameplay all we want. The big draw for this is they're using rollback netcode. Yes. And apparently it is really really good rollback net code. Have you seen where they started attaching that to like emulators and stuff? I've heard about it's it. It's basically reawoken the whole fighting game genre cuz now it people has. like Wong I are don't back know why. I don't yeah, I honestly don't know why every fighting game cuz I love fighting games. Oh, yeah. I don't know why every fighting game developer out there just doesn't use rollback net code. Why would you use anything else? It works and it works <laughs> so well. Seriously. Yeah, I'm just saying. I mean, it, the, the hilarious thing, the hilarious thing, uh, this is so funny. One of the, the you know, uh, in the last couple of years, unfortunately, Capcom has been doing great at everything except their fighting games for about seven years. True, Something true. Feels like it feels longer than that, <laughs> honestly. But uh, the, you know what the funny thing is? One of the most reviled fighting games that Capcom has published in the last decade had the best online. Oh, is it? And that was Marvel. That was Marvel versus Capcom Infinite. Yeah. People hated on that game for months before it even came out. They hated on it when it came out. But guess what? <laughs> the online was amazing. Hilarious. <laughs> That's a game that has the Monster Hunter as a character, so it all comes full circle. Yeah, that's why I said I think I've played more games with Monster Hunter characters right. than actual Monster Hunter games. So, <laughs> you know, so you so you had that. And Infinite has has a slew of problems, but the gameplay is great. Yeah, and the online is amazing. But that wasn't enough to save it, unfortunately. No, the characters were too ugly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the 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 heart, the core of that game was solid. It's just that everything around it needed help. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> and I've heard the full... I've heard... Uh, I've seen a video on the full story about what happened to that game. Yeah. And all I'm going to say is, because it's, it's a long and involved thing, all I... Uh, to summarize it very quickly, it's not Capcom's fault. No, it didn't seem like it, did it? <laughs> so I have been kind of in the indie retro space for a while and that's kind of where i like to be but i've been playing the the latest game from uh yacht club cyber shadow granted they didn't develop it they helped a little bit but they did they published it and cyber shadow is basically like a ninja gaiden style platformer it's really Ooh. really hard but it is very well made and it's it's a solid ass game. Like there's a lot of really cool mechanics, and the speed run scene is really picking up on it. So if you like those style of like retro platformers with a lot of like precise action, 
You got to get this one. This one's good. Oh, man, you're, you're giving me flashbacks to playing Ninja Gaiden as a kid. Yeah. Never finishing any of them. No, no. <laughs> well, they, so they just announced that they're doing a, a triple game collection of the 3D Ninja Gaidens on the Switch, which presumably will come to the other consoles as well. So if you're into just straight up Ninja Gaiden, like soon there's going to be a collection for you. Yeah. I have a funny story related to Ninja Gaiden that I'll tell you after we're done. So. <laughs> All right. <laughs> The other game that I'm playing is a, a JRPG-style game. It's very sci-fi. Uh, there's a lot of, like, pinks and blues kind of lo-fi energy. It's it's a game called Haven. I have it on the Switch. It's very much about intimacy. And so you basically play hmm. as a couple who have run away from a corporation and their sci-fi utopia, basically, to live amongst themselves and survive on this, like, random planet. And so you're flying around, gathering resources, you're having all these scenes where the, basically their relationship is improving over time. That's your level up. So every time you level up, you have another scene, and it's just them getting closer. And it is probably the hmm. best, like, use of intimacy I've ever seen in a video game. It's really well done. The only issue is what I'm having currently is the Switch doesn't perform with this game super hot, so it crashes a lot. Um, just straight up hard crashes. I've run into like eight or nine and they happen in transitioning between scenes. Thankfully, the game auto saves enough that I don't lose progress usually, but it's like really annoying. And so I'm just waiting for that game to patch out. We have a Q&A with the game's creative director on our website. So that's really cool. Mm. But yeah, if you're on like Xbox Game Pass, this game's available and it's really neat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The other thing I'm playing is an absolute classic that I just finished for the first yes. time recently, and that's Chrono Trigger. Yes. Just amazing RPG. I'm getting ready to I mean, do, do... What more needs to be said? It's Chrono Trigger. Yeah, I mean, it's an incredible <laughs> game. There are parts I didn't like, but it's still an amazing, like, experience. But I, I'm playing... I finished it on the Super Nintendo. I played it digitally through the Wii U um, with an actual, like, Super Nintendo controller from the uh, SNES Mini. Oh, man. So I hooked that up to the Wii. Really? That works on the that works on the Wii? Oh, yeah. It's the same connection. It just worked. <laughs> so I, I was basically playing with Hot a Hot dang. Super I'll have to remember that for later because yeah. I have the uh, I have the NES and the SNES Mini. Yeah, you can just throw them on and, you know, the games that you're playing will work with it. It's, it's really nice. <laughs> wow. So I, I played Chrono Trigger like that and I finished it. I thought it was really good, but I'm doing an essay on it, so I'm studying this game, and I'm I'm getting ready to start uh -huh. the DS version. I have the mobile version. I've, I've looked up a lot of information about you know the game in general and its development and all that. So uh, eventually, I'm gonna have a really cool essay on it, but that's not gonna be published on the website. That's eventually gonna be published in an actual physical book, and I'll have more details about that later because I don't know Ooh. what is available publicly yet. But it's gonna Ooh. be in a book, <laughs> and I'm excited. Speaking of books, I have a new book out right now. Ooh. Ooh, plug it. Let's get to it, man. Tell people where they can find your stuff. <laughs> well, okay, let's do the book first. I have a new book out uh, that I co-authored with my friends Nick Hayden and Aaron Brosman. That Nick is uh, a fellow writer, and uh, Brosman is also... I call him Brosman. <laughs> We're all college friends, and we always called him Brosman. Right. The, he's also a writer, but he his big thing right now is he is a streamer. So if you go on to Twitch... You can find him at Crop Circles, uh, I-N, I think, because he's from Indiana. So, uh, and uh, he streams all kinds of different things. And he has a, uh, he also has a Discord server cool. that uh, you can go join in. He has a little community going on there. But the name of the book is Zorzum and the God Who Devours. It's a sword and sorcery story about a barbarian cooler than Conan. And yes, I have the balls to say that because it's true. Nice. 
as much as I love you, Conan, and all of and all of your Ani glory, <laughs> Kram, I have never prayed to you before. What is best in life? You know, all of that. Swords of the God who devours. Even better. So it's a very so much Conan, like sword and sorcery. That, that's really exciting. Oh, yeah. And it's got everything. It's got monsters and beautiful princesses. And uh, <laughs> I don't know if I would call it gratuitous violence, but a lot of that. So Now, is it, one of the, is it one of those reads where it's meant to be taken humorous or is it very much a genre piece? No, it takes itself seriously. It's meant to be, it's written in a very pulpy sort of style, uh, of a very, a very much a, uh, like a 1930s. Well, 20s and 30s, I would say. That was the height of the pulp magazines. But very... Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the, the Conan author right now. Uh, Rob, uh, not Robert Jordan. That's a different author, but he did write Conan stories. Uh, Robert E. Howard. Robert E. Howard. It's a very Robert... It's written in a very Robert E. Howard sort of style. So it takes itself seriously. Nice. It's not meant to be ironic, you know, but... It's it's a wild story that takes itself seriously, I guess you could say. Very cool. And it looks like it's free on Kindle with uh, the unlimited membership. Really? Mm-hmm. Really? Or you can oh, buy it well, for that's a dollar. Cool. And uh, the, physical, the physical copy actually uh, just got produced. Yeah. So it's through, a small, it's through a smaller publishing house. But to continue on the Nathan Marchand self, uh, shameless self-promotion train... <laughs> <laughs> the uh, my author website is nathanjsmarchand.com. Yes, I had to use my two middle initials because nathanmarchand.com was already taken. I'm going to find that guy. <laughs> and then I'm going to get one of those monster hunter weapons and we're going to have a little talk. <laughs> well, let's get the great sword. Yes. You can also follow me on Twitter at NathanMarchand7. And uh, my professional Facebook page is The Worlds of Nathan Marchand. You should be able to just do a search for that and it'll come up. Yep. Uh, as for the podcast, because you know, I have to get the podcast in there too. The podcast website is MonsterIslandFilmVault.com. It's available on all the podcatchers and YouTube. I post the episodes on YouTube as well. You can follow the podcast has a small legion of related Twitter accounts that I have to plug because contractual obligations. So the podcast account is the Monster Isla One. That's the the, uh, the handle at the Monster Isla One. Then there's my intrepid producer Jimmy from NASA. Holy crap! You finally came into the studio. There he is. <laughs> nice to see you, Jimmy. Uh, uh, did you have fun with Barogon today? Okay, sorry, I won't bring that up. I know that was a little annoying, but anyway, so you can follow him at NASA Jimmy, and then there are my Orwellian overlords. You can follow them at Monster Isla B O D because I guess they like their bod. And then there is also my pseudo sister clone. It's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> She's also a magical girl, just to make it even weirder. But uh, you can follow her on Twitter at Crystal Lady Jess One because she goes by Crystal Lady Jessica. And then there's also the apparently the Attorney General for the Board of Directors, uh, Raymond Martin. And yes, if you are deep into the Godzilla and Kaiju fandom, that name is as genius as you think it is. Uh, his Twitter handle is at MIFV underscore legal team. Perfect. I have fulfilled my contractual obligations. We can move on. <laughs> <laughs> 
you also have a Patreon and an Instagram account. Oh yes, I forgot. I also have a Patreon. The you know you can find the podcast on Patreon. Yeah. Please join. I call it. We call those people the MIFV Max members. We have all kinds of cool perks, and they start and membership starts at just three dollars a month. And then also, where the podcast is on Instagram. I forgot I had that on there. Yeah. <laughs> you just search Monster Island Film Vault, and you'll find it. I, I do that. I like make these social media accounts, and then I forget they exist. <laughs> because <laughs> i really only use well, I te- the podcast technically has a twitch channel but i've only used it once and then i was just really confused by it i think i need someone like you to mentor me in the art of twitching <laughs> i so. do do social media for a living now <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a lot of like theoretical stuff and the content kind of carries itself but if you were looking for what i do of course you can find all of that anchored at foreverclassicgames.com if you want to send us an email it's the forever classic podcast at gmail.com If you're looking for me specifically, look up AC McCumbers on Twitter. All of this is going to be in the show notes, easy to click links, and lots of things for you to look at. So we certainly appreciate your time today, Nathan. It's always cool to have you. We didn't mention this in the show, but we mentioned it in a previous episode. We've been friends since my early days at Giga Geek, which was like straight out of college. We had a lot of fun with it. We did some really cool articles and content. Yes, we did, including uh, some uh, Godzilla-related articles that got a fair amount of traction on the website yeah your <laughs> breakdown of the the dvd releases i thought was really helpful so that's one yeah which is oh uh, which is now you know, ridiculously out of date <laughs> oh yeah for sure but you know <laughs> it's still cool you know it was great at the time yeah that's but a, well, i'll tell you <laughs> nobody else was talking about and I have, it that's uh, sure. I, the crazy thing is the crazy thing is i know i have some friends in the kaiju community who might actually be more knowledgeable about the physical media releases than me so nice. I love yeah, which people is that are uh, just nuts. Me. I want to be the dumbest guy in the room at every chance I get. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty easy when you're me. But yeah, so this has been a lot of fun, man. Oh I come love on, Monster Alex! Hunter. Don't be so mean to yourself. Don't be so mean to yourself. <laughs> no, I've definitely but, uh, entered some. Uh, but hey, like, oh. I'm just gonna throw this out here. I'm just gonna throw this out here, and I made you aware of this yeah. the, because I got to meet these guys at G Fest a couple of years ago. Hell yeah! But the the game. Dawn of the Monsters yeah. is supposed to be released this year, and hopefully you can get in contact with the devs for that, 13 a.m. games. Uh, I would love to for, for you to interview them. They seemed like pretty cool dudes. Yes. And if you want to bring me back, if you want to have an excuse to bring me back, bring me back for that game, and if we can figure out a way to play that game together, hot dang, let's do it. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm down because guess who's doing the publishing now for it? Way forward, who we've talked to in the past. So yeah, it, it'll probably be better now than it was going to be. So we'll th- definitely Dawn of the Monsters is happening. Or, uh, or maybe we could do something fu- uh, crazy like we'll, uh, we'll have a little, th- you know, a Forever Classic Games Monster Island Film Vault crossover stream where we'll uh, we'll, we'll stream the game together. Yeah. Maybe get a couple of our friends to do it because it's four player co op. Yeah, that would be fun, man. I I love you know me. I love monster shit, so like I'm all about it. But yeah, so that was our take on the Monster Hunter movie. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we do hope that you're staying safe out there. And of course, stay cool.